This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us for this very special and exciting episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined by Brittany Page. That's me. I was going to spill the beans about the interview a little bit. A little bit. Well, don't do that. Yeah. Don't spoil that. I know. <laughs> it's just so good. All right, relax. So good. So listen, about... About a year ago, maybe. Really? That long? It very well could have been a year ago. Okay. We did 23andMe, mm-hmm. and we sent away our DNA to be ascertained the the origins of our families or whatever. And some might say, very dumb decision. Yeah, a lot of people are paranoid about turning over their DNA to a private corporation. And actually... <laughs> When they put it in terms like that... Kind of makes sense. Yeah, I kind of regret it. But yeah. what's done is done. <laughs> what's done is done. Yeah, I guess so. And... Uh, Oopsies. I was perplexed and, and intrigued mm-hmm. by African lineage yes. indicated by my DNA. Yeah. Seven or so generations back. Mm-hmm. And that would indicate that my family, way back, owned mm-hmm. slaves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, were slave-raping fucking idiots. I mean, idiots is a pretty um, kind word yeah, to use in that, right. that phrase there. Well, I don't want to use words that would uh, inflame the situation. Okay. You know, words that, you know, maybe Wayne from the UK would be comfortable using. Oh, got it, yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. So... I don't want to spoil anything, mm-hmm. but let's just say uh, in the moment, I said, wow, offhanded, it would be great to know someone who's a genealogist, uh, mm-hmm. to contact somebody who could do a little research and find this out for me. Yeah. Lo and behold, mm-hmm. Barb French is a listener to the show, and holy long-time shit. Long-time listener to the show. Long-time. I think an early Supporter adopter. Supporter of the show. That's right. Yes. She is a genealogist, like a legit Real deal, barbfrench.com genealogist. Absolutely. You can hire her. Yeah. And I let, uh, let me give a plug up front. Yeah. She found out so much amazing shit. Yeah. I, I gave no leads. Here's my name. Here's my, my, my mom and dad, where they were born, and fucking holy shit. Mm-hmm. Amazing wealth of information, even though... I didn't know my real father, my biological father, until I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about that side of the family. Yeah. So anyway, she reached out. This is a terribly told story, by the way. It's not great, but <laughs> you're getting there. You're doing the best you can. She 
How dare you? I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to help. <laughs> wow. It's like you're treating me like a five-year-old creating a seven-course dinner. Oh, but you did. Yeah, mayonnaise. Uh-huh. We'll learn later in the episode why, why I'm not great at this. <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah. Speaking of spoiler alerts. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> she reached out. She's like, I'd love to help you out with that. Yeah. And we connected. I gave her the information. And she went on the the wild goose chase that ended up being fucking fascinating. Well, and because she was finding out so much um, interesting information about you, I also asked if she would mind checking into my background. Yeah, far more recently, though. Yeah, especially yeah. because um, I had to do a project in school where I discussed my cultural influences in my family. The genogram. Um, this was actually separate from the genogram, oh, oh, oh. although I also had to do a genogram, which is something that we talk about in the interview with Barb. Um, and so a genogram is... Like a family tree, but it includes all of the actual social relationships that you have with everybody, and it includes things like addiction or incarceration, um, disconnection from family members, yeah, divorces, yeah. all of that kind of stuff is added in, so they can really pathologize you, you see? <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. Yeah. We need to fucking diagnose this person. Yeah, but there's also, and we didn't talk about this in the interview, things called socially constructed genograms, where... Um, the kind of postmodern segment of the psychology community has advocated for socially constructed genograms. So rather than kind of labeling everyone in your family with these various pathologies, it's more positive and you even don't have to list your family members. You can list um, people who you met in your life that were really um, profound, yeah. had a profound impact on I you. I like that a lot. That would fit me pretty well. Yeah. Like um, your, your chosen family, your your, your deeply held relationships with friends and things. Yeah. Right. But like you were saying, I also had to do this cultural uh, project where I had to describe where my family came from. And because no one in my family talks to anybody right. and I'm also <laughs> included in that, I don't talk the to anybody in my family. of healthy relationships, um, your family. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know. And I the only place I knew where to go was my baby book. And my mom had crossed out the names of my relatives. People she hated. Yeah, the people that she hated in my family tree in my baby book. And I couldn't really see the names. I had to like hold it up to a light. Anyway, so now I, you know. I reached out to a great uncle that I had. And I said, is he my great uncle? I don't know. Something like and that. And he said we were related to Jimmy Page, Betty Page, like anyone named Page we were related to. And so yeah, I'm like, Led Zeppelin, the yeah. guy from Britain. Yeah, please. And then Betty Page, the, the yeah. pinup yeah. girl. So I said, Barb, help me out. What's going on here? I'm being fed all these lies. I need some help. And she helped me out. Really nice. Yeah, now you could actually just white out over the scratch out and write <laughs> the actual name because now you know it. Yeah, also, yeah. <laughs> I was I was going to spoil something, but I don't want to give any so, spoilers. So anyway, um, we'll get going here with, with the interview. I, I do want to say some of this might not be of supreme interest to you because it's about specifics of our family. Right. But as a matter of a plug for Barb, right. this just tells you just how fucking granular the detail she can find out if you're interested in giving her a crack at your family tree. If you're in a situation like I am mm -hmm. or like Brittany is, yeah. or you just you want a little bit more, uh, 
history going back. She went with me to back to like the 15 fucking hundreds. Well, and we also get into people who like sign up for Ancestry.com and become kind of pseudo genealogists and think that they're right. finding all of the information. And I know a lot of people like this kind of like older people that sign up for it and think they're finding all this accurate information when really you're just relying on other people. It's almost like Wikipedia. Yeah, You're relying on other people like you yeah. who don't know and think they're doing a great job, but they're just following other ding dongs. Yeah. So if you have a family member, maybe that's really interested in family history and wants to know where they came from, but maybe they're not doing things right yeah, on Ancestry.com. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's likely they're not. Barb can also help with that. So like you said, this may not be the most interesting thing to all of the listeners because it is about us specifically. But stick with it because there's a bunch of super interesting things. Yeah, but I also want to say if you're interested in history, if you're interested in um, just families in general and how things get passed down, I mean, that that's what all this is about. And I think it is fascinating. Yeah, if you're interested in which world leaders I'm related to... <laughs> That's a little, little tantalizing little treat. There you go. A little, a little, a little, what is it? A, a little, little breadcrumb, a little, little Easter egg, a no. little, little taste. Little, little, Just a little, little taste. All right. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, thank you guys for joining us. Let's get to the interview. Barb French from barbfrench.com. <laughs> How are you, madam? We appreciate you coming on to uh, tell the world about our wackiness <laughs> in our bloodlines. Yay. How are you? I know all the skeletons in both of your closets. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I think in mine, there actually are probably some some both funny and also super sad ones, too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you get in to such an interesting field as genealogy? Well, to be honest, I had a history degree I wasn't doing anything with. Mm. Like many people, I went to his I went into college thinking I was going to do one thing and discovered that um, the field of history is lovely, it is fun. You don't actually make money doing it. So I went to grad school, discovered I was temperamentally unsuited for academia. And went and decided to get something where, A, I could get a job and, B, make money. So I wasn't doing anything with it, but I loved historical research. So my grandfather had started a family tree, and I picked up where he left off, which was a huge mistake because he had made some huge mistakes. And so I spent a couple of years mostly just cleaning up the problems that he had created by mistakes you mean when in doing his research he was connecting you to families or ancestors who weren't actually should, should that you shouldn't have been actually connected to right exactly like um he made a very unusual mistake it's it's pretty common to misidentify women because tracking down maiden names can be very very difficult mm. but he married the right woman to the wrong fourth great grandfather. And I had built like this beautiful tree of like 300 people on it. I had to throw it all out when I discovered, nope, different guy. Wow. Wow. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very much a, a discipline that gets underrated these days. And I blame Ancestry and their <laughs> stupid shaky leaf commercials. Yeah, you when when we got connected, um, when we did the 23andMe thing, and I had kind of, I, I allowed you into my, my, I gave you access to my family tree. 
and I had I had made it a, a fair distance, and you were like, ah, slam on the brakes, brother, stop. The tree you created in <laughs> yeah, Ancestry.com. Yeah, the tree com. that I created, that's yeah. right, yeah. Thanks, Brittany. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was doing the same goddamn thing, where I'm just clicking leaf after leaf after leaf, and you had to go back in and... Uh, Unfuck the situation. Well, and let's explain that too. Where when you're in ancestry.com and you can create these trees, um, it starts suggesting things to you. So if you yeah. add a family member to your tree, it has some sort of automatic algorithm, I'm assuming, that like starts tracking who the next person might be. And if you click on that leaf, it, it just shows you who that person is and you can just add them to your tree. It's really simple. And so people um, that are amateur genealogists uh, log on to Ancestry.com and just start clicking these leaves and adding people to their tree, not knowing that that might not be correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that people have the mistaken impression that all of these bits of information have been verified by someone, when in fact what they are is they're based on other people's family trees. And so those are only as good as other people's family trees. And if the same mistake is being repeated over and over again, it just gets codified into this algorithm that Ancestry has built to the point that you're never going to get rid of it. Mistakes are forever. Um, this kind of gets into the whole idea of, you know, what is a good source for genealogy? And to me, genealogy and journalism have a great deal in common. Wow. In that we, it, well, we both rely on sources. Yeah. And not only do we rely on sources, we have to be able to analyze those sources and know, are these good sources? Are these reliable? Or are these suspect? Like, you know, I'm sure you have to go through this all the time when you see something pop on your Twitter feed or something. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all of us do. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, you know, the, the problem is, is that clicking those shaky leaves in Ancestry when they're going to other people's family trees is a lot like relying on Twitter for your news. That not, is that is fair. Not, not good. <laughs> yeah. Not good. <laughs> no, it's it's not. And, you know, so there, there's that. But there's also something a lot of people don't realize in sources with genealogy, just like sources in journalism, sources in genealogy can have an agenda. Mm. They're trying to sell you some version of the past. And believe it or not, our ancestors weren't always truthful. Yeah, right. Sure. So <laughs> shocking. <laughs> one of the examples that I want to use is actually from Brittany's tree. Uh oh. Uh huh. Yeah. This is the most Southern name I have ever heard <laughs> in my life. Joppy Jr. Brown. <laughs> Joppy? Like with peas? <laughs> J-O-P-P-I-E. And the middle name is Junior. Junior? In the middle? I wish in we, the middle. I wish we had known this before we named Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever get Poppy, Popeye a brother, you can name him Joppy Junior. Yeah. Joppy Junior. <laughs> wow. Well, he's not a direct ancestor. And I'll, I'll one of the things, I'll, okay, I'll just go back. A little bit here. I want to explain ancestor versus descendant versus relatives because people get these all mixed up. Yeah. An ancestor is someone who's directly related to you as a parent or a grandparent. It's a direct line. Hmm. Okay. 
A descendant is someone who's related to another person as a child or a grandchild. It goes down. It descends. So you are a descendant of your grandparents. Your grandparents are an ancestor of yours. Oh, right. I got corrected. A- I got corrected one time on the show because I used descendant incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. they're not interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're not. But and then there's relatives, and relatives is everyone else: aunts, uh, uncles, cousins, nephews, nieces, siblings. Those are people who are not in a direct line to you. And people get relative and ancestor mixed up. An ancestor is a relative. A relative is not necessarily an ancestor. Yeah, sure. So, but I just wanted to get that one out of the way because people mix those terms up all the time. So, so for instance, like if 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 uh, Joppy Junior mm-hmm. had had you said he wasn't an ancestor, but it, but Joppy Junior might be related to someone by by way of cousin or something who would be Brittany's ancestor. So she is related to him, but not directly in line of blood. Possibly. Okay. There's here's where the agenda part comes in. Okay. Joppy was born in 1917. And according to every record including his birth record, his social security application, his his military records, he was the son of Solomon Wesley Brown, who was Brittany's third great-grandfather, mm. and his second wife Mariah Catron. Now, Brittany, you're you're descended from the first wife, not the second wife, but here's the problem. So Mariah was born in 1875, would have been 41 when Joppy was born. It's a little old, but it's okay. <laughs> the problem is Solomon Wesley Brown died in 1913, four years before Joppy's birth. Right. Interesting. The math, the math doesn't work out. <laughs> no. Now, it is not uncommon to find someone who had a posthumous child, but generally that's within nine months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because of science and all. Yeah. Because of that pesky thing called science and they're not really being undead and all that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So why would they put Solomon's name as the father if he had died four years ago and anyone looking at this, and by the way, this is repeated on all these ancestry family trees that he is the son. Mm-hmm. No one no one seems to notice the four years discrepancy in the death and the birth. Yeah. So why would why would that be put in? I have no guesses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one of two things. Number one, um, Mariah was fooling around and got pregnant and decided to just attribute this to her dead husband and hope no one noticed. Or this is what I consider to be the most likely scenario that Joppy was actually the son of a relative or perhaps even her daughter. Oh, and she right. had taken this child in and given him this information to make sure that he would be considered legitimate. Hmm. Right. That, that probably happened a lot yeah. back, back in the day mm-hmm. because it was such oh, a... Oh, it did. Because it was such a... Uh, just a black mark on, you know, the scarlet letter. You don't want to be a harlot. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we jump in deep into these family tree situations. Fascinated by Joppy. Yeah, uh, jo- and <laughs> more about Joppy. Um, I want to ask this question because we're kind of seeing increased interest in genealogy with like the show Finding Your Roots and Henry Louis Gates Jr. doing uh, the family trees for all the celebrities, right? And that's, you know, how people learn to care about things is celebrities. And so... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> why should why should average people care about genealogy? And l- let's even say for someone who's not close to their family or doesn't really have a, a strong familial connection, why should people care about it? Well, I have a couple of difficult family situations myself. Um, so I, I can relate to this completely. I've got some dysfunctional issues on my father's side of the family in particular. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was actually kind of a healing process to go back beyond who the problem ancestor was. In this case, it was my grandfather and go behind him and partially trying to see how maybe he got the way he was. Yeah. But also to realize there were some good people behind him. So his whole line wasn't fucked it was just him (laughs) (laughs) as as probably is the case with many many people Brittany and i included in that Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah and you know you can find some really good stories back in there and for me one of the things i was always frustrated about with history even though i mean i went to I went to college for history. I wanted to get a PhD in history until I realized that there were 200 applications for visiting professorships at community colleges that was paying less than I'd been making in human services. Yeah, yeah. Um, That history, the way it's taught today, is really utter bullshit, to be honest. You know, this memorization of dates and names and places that are, they don't mean anything to most people. It's hard to make it relevant. And genealogy is the story of ordinary people. That's why I love it is because, you know, anyone can study kings and, you know, great thinkers and all that stuff. But when you get into the stories of ordinary people, that's where the real stories happen. That's where you can find out, well, how did these ordinary people interact with the great events that were going on at their time. Mm -hmm. It makes knowing that your own ancestors were in the Civil War, for example, suddenly that means something to you. Yeah. And it gets people more excited about history. And as we all know from the current political climate right now, those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. (laughs) So for me, getting people more fired up about the history of themselves mm-hmm. will help put a lot of that that stuff more into into perspective. Yeah. I like how you said it was kind of healing for you as well. I I think my I never really had an interest in uh, my extended family members because we were not in contact and I grew up not talking to anyone and my parents didn't talk to anybody and no one talks to anybody. Um, But in (laughs) grad school, we had to create a genogram which um, I'm sure Barb knows, but for everyone else, is a family tree, but it depicts the actual relationships among the individuals in the tree. Um, So if you aren't in contact, um, it also has like addiction that you can add to people, you can add mental illnesses on there. Um, It tracks all of the patterns and psychological factors within the tree. Um, That is what kind of started my interest here. Um, And that's when (laughs) I was so thankful for you to come along, Barb, because um, you dove in deep here, and I'm I'm excited to hear all the things that you you found out about well, our also trees. because when you reached out to certain family members to find out details, yeah, they were fucking suspicious, yeah, because oh, you're your parents' child, and they're like, oh no, this is fucking 
the fix is in here. They're trying to do something. Absolutely. Yeah. It was it was hard for me to figure out things on my own. Also, similar to what we were talking about earlier with um, people going on Ancestry.com and just thinking that they know what they're doing. I had a relative who, um, you know, thought we were related to everyone with the last name Page. Every so, famous person with Page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you get in there and you can really create what kind of tree, any kind of tree you want, I guess. Well, at least the Betty Page one was possibly um justified mm-hmm. because of, because of geography right yeah exactly because um as we'll get into later Brittany, most of your roots are kentucky and tennessee mm-hmm. and betty page was born in nashville but as far as i can tell those families were not if they if they're related it's way back there but page is actually a fairly common surname and it's found in several different uh, ethnicities and such. So it's it's one that can be kind of hard to pin down. It's it's not a particularly unique name is the problem. And and Jimmy Page just, you know, that was, I have no idea. He was born in England for heaven's right, sake. Right, right. <laughs> so so what, what I'm hearing is that, that Britney's just common trash. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that we're debunking the myths. That yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I don't, I don't think there's any better time than now to to get into some of the things you found. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about Jesse. <laughs> yeah, well, Jesse's tree. I've been, I, I've gotten further on his because I worked on his longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you, Brittany. Um, you didn't ask me about doing your tree until I had been doing Jesse's tree for a few months. I just want to say I have been working on this. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when. This all started, but it's been many, many months, and I've put hundreds of hours into this because I just got fascinated, and it was a lot of fun. But I didn't start yours, Brittany, until a few months ago. Yeah. So I don't have as much on yours yet, but this is still a work in progress. Yeah. I I plan to continue working on this because there are some very interesting puzzles in there that I'm determined to find. And this is really, it's detective work. I just work with dead people instead of live ones. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I was fascinated by, like, I think everybody has stories that they're told about their past or their, their family's history in the United States or, or wherever mm-hmm. they're from. And I was always told that we, that our family went back all, like, way back, like, to the Mayflower. yeah. And that was something I always like told kids in school. You know, we came around the Mayflower. That's yeah. not true. It's not fucking true at all. In fact, it w- actually, it's sort of true. Well, I mean, not on the boat. Not, not on, on the that particular boat. boat. But we'll get to that one because now you had originally been told this. This going back to the episode where you t- actually had the DNA test done that I was that a quarter had- Chippewa Indian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that on your father's side you were half Chippewa and half German. Yeah. And your mother's side was 100% French. Yeah, that's right. And what did you find out was uh, I actually have it right here. Let me click over to the browser. That I am, uh, well, it's overall 99.7% European, mm-hmm. uh, 61.2% British and Irish, mm-hmm. 11.5% French and German, mm-hmm. 0.9% Scandinavian, are these going to add up? Uh, 18.9% <laughs> broadly Northwestern European, mm-hmm. 6% Southern European, 4% Spanish and Portuguese. God, I'm a fucking mutt. Um, <laughs> we all are. Bro- <laughs> uh, broadly Southern European, 1.2%. Eastern European, 0.1%. Broadly European, one2 
And then trace ancestry, um, 0.3%, uh, which is 0.1 Native American, 0.1 Senegambian and Guinean, and then uh, broadly East Asian and Native American, 0.1. And you also had some West African in there. I think that's the Senegambian and Guinean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that was actually the the one that that I remember intrigued you the most about where that came from. Yeah, for sure. Well, I will do a spoiler alert that I did not find exactly where that came from, but I'm pretty sure I know what part of your family it came from. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because doing any sort of genealogy with... Um, with slave ancestry, and I'm sure that this is where this came in from, was, was, a, was a slave, probably one who had been imported to the United States, uh, well, before it was the United States, probably. There's a lot of challenges involved with that. And it's not an area where I have a specialization, but I have done a lot of reading on it, and it's, it's actually a fascinating area. But your family tree your DNA tells your real story just fine. It all fits. Um, I and your, but your tree is one of the weirdest trees I've ever worked with in my life. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, I call it the multiple personality tree because <laughs> most people, and I include myself and Brittany and my husband and most of the people I've ever worked for, where I where I've done full trees, are very. It's, it, it tends to be the same sorts of ethnic groups um, for the most part, or they're, they're coming from the same regions of the country or the same regions of Europe or something like that. Mine's almost all old New England colonial roots. My husband's the same way. Brittany is primarily Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, with a thread of an immigrant line that we'll talk about. Yours, you have four trees in one. Wow. Your paternal grandparents each, you know, I can really divide it into separate trees based on your paternal grandfather, your paternal grandmother, your maternal grandfather, and your maternal grandmother. So this is where we start here was your paternal grandfather. Your mother was right in that your paternal grandfather's family is mostly German. Mm -hmm. But there's also a big line of colonial New England, going back to Massachusetts. And this is where the whole thing about, yeah, the Mayflower story has a grain of truth to it. Now, and you're talking about through my dad's side. Your dad's father's yeah, which, side which of she, the family. Which she wouldn't have known about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So right. I, if she said that we came through the Mayflower through our her family, that's wrong, you're saying, for sure. I'm not sure that that's wrong. Oh, because okay. on her mother's side of the family, it's it's all old southern roots. Yeah, it's like, more likely that they came in through various southern ports, and not through probably through Virginia and south of that. I suppose there's possibility that there there would be a Mayflower line in there. But on your on your dad's side, um, there was a man whose name was George Morton. And he's your 11th great-grandfather. He was born in 1584 in England. That oh, my gosh. Bananas wow. that it's that far back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was associated with the, uh, with the congregation in Leiden, which was the group of separatists, or we call them pilgrims, 
who did come over on the Mayflower, but not all of them came over at once. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people just think that the Mayflower plucked everybody up out of this congregation and sent them over. And that's not what happened at all. It was only a small group of them. And then they, they couldn't fill the boat. So they had to hire some other people who uh, they called the, um, oh, what did they call them? Anyway, they were not separatists. They were just there for economic reasons. Sure. And uh, The strangers. That's right. The saints and the strangers. And so George Morton did not go over with the first group. Instead, he was acting as a business agent for the group in London. Now, one of the things that he did, which is really cool, is when the they sent some people back on the, the second ship that went over, it was called the Fortune, they sent him back with a written account of the new colony. And he was uh, put with the job of publishing this. It's called Mort's Relation, a journal of the uh, Pilgrims of Plymouth. It was erroneously attributed to him. He wasn't even there. But a lot of people think that, that he was. Now, he did go over on the third ship, which was called the Anne, along with his 10-year-old son, who was your great-great-grandfather, Nathaniel Morton. He became a secretary to the colony um, and wrote one of the earliest histories of Plymouth Colony called New England's Memorial. In fact, the Wall Street Journal publishes his account of the first Thanksgiving every Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Really? So for the past 40 years. Yes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Well, do you know how rare it is? Well, I don't know if you don't know. Trust me, it's extremely rare to find writings in your ancestors' own words. Yeah. Wow. Especially from that far back. That is awesome. So get the Wall Street Journal next Wednesday, the next Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That's your 10th great-grandfather's writing. Nathaniel Mort? Morton. Morton. Sometimes they were called Mort. Mort. Sometimes it was called Morton. Sometimes there's a U in there. You know, people get hung up on spelling. And really, the standardization of spelling and names didn't really become a thing until the late 19th century. So Shakespeare used multiple spellings of the same word in the same writing. Oh, yeah. And, and you'll find, you know, in, in some of these older documents, it's one of the people things people find very frustrating about it. You'll find the name spelled, you know, six different ways in, in seven different accounts. So it's kind of, listen, it's, if you if you know what the word is, they got the job done. That's what matters. <laughs> exactly. As long as everyone knew what they were what, what they were driving at, we're fine. But this is one of the things that I think is pretty cool about genealogy. This is kind of the, what I call the small world department. Our families knew one another. Yours and mine. That is awesome. I have, I'm descended from several Mayflower pa- passengers, including Hester Cook, who is the wife of uh, Mayflower passenger Francis Cook, who came over with George Morton on the Anne. Wow. And my husband's 11th great grandfather, Robert Cushman, was basically best buddies with George Moulton. So, crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's one of the things I always say if you have old, colonial roots it's not if you're related or if you knew each other it's how many times Mm. so interesting so just a little bit on a little bit more on your paternal grand your father's father's side of the family um there was one guy who was in the civil war uh in the union his name is peter lampman he was 45 when he enlisted supposedly he was actually 55 and he had a short military career. He was discharged for a hernia not long after enlistment. So that's what happens. Have done that. That's what happens when you're an old guy and you try to <laughs> join the military. At least he was on the right side. Yeah. Right. At least he was on the right side. 
not all of yours were. Um, but, uh, and you did have, this is actually a really cool one. Uh, your, your fifth great grandfather, David Vining, participated in the Lexington Alarm, which is the first battle of the Revolutionary yeah, War. That's awesome. Wow. Yep. So you have quite a bit of, uh, and you have another one who was named Sam Judkins. He was in King Philip's War, um, basically swarmed by uh, Native Americans and never heard from again. So, and this is, right now we're talking about my my uh, paternal mm-hmm. side, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now we're going to switch to your paternal grandmother, the supposed Chippewa. <laughs> I'm, I'm she was, interested. She was not Chippewa at all. She was Quebecois, Canadian. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so French Canadian. So it just French- sounded similar and everyone got confused. Is that right? <laughs> I have no idea. Her last name was Supree, which mm. is actually a shortened version of the original French Canadian name. Now, I have to start here with a bit of a caveat. Um, I am going to, I have received some excellent tutelage on how to pronounce these names as proper Quebecois French. My friends Maria and Jean sat down with me and we recorded all this. (laughs) Any butchery is entirely my own. Yeah. You're putting in work here. (laughs) I'm putting in work here. Um, The original French Canadian name for Supree is Suprenant, which means surprising. And I think this was very surprising to you to learn that you were one quarter French Canadian. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But here's the cool thing. You are seventh cousins with Justin Trudeau. Whoa. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Holy shit. You're related related through the Surprenants. That's insane. Um, That stuff, by the way, for the audience's uh, knowledge... I'm learning about this right now. This is not... I feel like we're on Finding Your Roots. <laughs> right. It's crazy. <laughs> well, that was my hope. You know, that's why I'm trying to bring the, the fun facts here. Um, you are six cousins, of course, from Pierre Trudeau. And you, both your grandmother and Justin Trudeau's great-great-grandmother were surprenant. Wow. Uh, the lines don't join until the late 1600s, which is why you are... Um, seventh cousins once removed from Justin Trudeau, but it's, that's kind of a cool thing. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about old French Canadian roots and yours are old. Many of these lines I'm getting back into the mid 1600s. Yeah. Um, is that there was a, there was a very small population there. So you are pretty much anyone else with old French Canadian roots. You're related to them somehow. It's just a matter of figuring out how. Wow. Now, many of these lines, as I said, I mean, they go into the deepest roots right to the first settlers. In fact, you're related to some of the lines that are considered what's called Purlan or pure wool hmm. or pure line. And these are sort of akin to being a Mayflower descendant would be in the United States. You are descended from three filles du roi. And the Fille de Rois were the king's daughters. Not really the king's daughters, because there were 800 of them. And <laughs> oh. yes, Louis XIV was Randy, but not quite that Randy. Yeah, um, that's, get, that's get doing some work right there. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> well, 
Well, what he did was actually pretty cool. They knew that they were losing the population war in the colonies. This was in the this was in the mid to late 1600s, and they you know because up in New France, which is what they called Canada at the time, they're they're part of Canada at the time. They had a lot of trappers and farmers and such like that, but not a lot of women. So they had to attract women to go over there and to make babies. So what he did is he created this program between 1663 and 1673, where he sponsored young women between the ages of 12 and 25, paid passage to New France, gave them a dowry and a trousseau to become wives of settlers and raise children to help populate the new colony. They had to be of sound moral character with a letter of recommendation from their parish priest and had to be of good health. And, but most of these women were very poor, had few prospects elsewhere. So this was considered to be a very good opportunity. And as I said, you descend from three of them and two of them hit the double genealogical jackpot. They married soldiers of the Carignan Salier Regiment, which was the first permanent French regiment in, in Canada. And those are, the, those are the ladies that were called the Daughters of the King. Yes, the yeah. filles du roi, yeah, daughters yeah. of the king. Um, the ones that you are descended from are Marie-Francois de Port, and she was from a, a, a little island called the Ile de Ré, and the people there are nicknamed the Caisserons, the baby, baby cuttlefish. So you are a baby cuttlefish. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How sweet. I like it. Uh, you didn't know that. Um, and she married a man named... Uh, Pierre Renaud de Loca, who was a soldier of the Carignan Salier. Uh, you're also related to Justin Bieber through her. Oh. Well, I could have <laughs> gone my entire life not knowing that. <laughs> yep, you're his eighth cousin. Uh. <laughs> so you're wow. probably also related to Celine, uh, Celine Dion and, you know, what other French... Canadians can I think of off the top of my head? Yeah, but yes, I, you that are. one I'm okay with. That well, one's okay. Well, now we understand your singing talent. Yeah, Jesse. that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the other two were named Marie Piton and Marie Francois Chaubert. So that's, as I said, is kind of considered the the creme de la creme of Quebecois. So instead of being Chippewa. And having pemmican in your veins, you have poutine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, that's, <laughs> that is uh, fascinating to me because that's the side of the family that I know absolutely, well, not now, not anymore, but yeah. that I knew absolutely nothing about because right. I was estranged from my biological father mm -hmm. until I was 18 years old and yeah. still don't have a close relationship with him. So. Yeah. But, but there's one more interesting surprise in this line in that, I mean, your grandma, your paternal grandmother's line is almost solidly French Canadian, except for one tiny little thread that came in with a man named Johann Manake. He was a Hessian soldier who came in to New, Can New France in 1783 as part of the Princess Anhalt Regiment, serving on the side of the British. So you hear about Hessian soldiers yeah. in, the, in the British Army. He was one of them. He was a mercenary. Yeah. And like many Hessian soldiers, he decided to stay in Quebec afterwards. Hmm. So you have another Revolutionary War ancestor, but he was on the other side of the conflict. Uh, what I like to call the wrong side of the conflict, <laughs> Barb. The wrong side. Right. And he married a French girl, Marie-Madeleine Poulain, and they had a son, and they also named him 
well, it was Johann Monaquet, but they Frenched it to uh, Jean Monnet. So they just changed the, you know, the way that they, you know, a lot of people have come in with foreign names and then they anglicize them to an American sounding name. Well, he did the same thing and changed it to French. It's awesome. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend if you ever want to do some genealogy tourism, go to Quebec. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing it down That's right now. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. yeah. Great idea. And, it, and almost all of yours were in Quebec City. So, um, I mean, if you're interested, you know, offline, I can give you lists of churches and such where your family members were married and baptized and all that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a really, you know, you have more connection to Quebec City than just about any single place in your genealogy. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. Um there's a there's a lot less Mormon bullshit going on on my dad's <laughs> side than on my mom's side. <laughs> That's exactly what we're getting to next is the Mormon bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Which also I'm connected to, uh, and I knew this that the, the, you know like the, kind of the founding fathers of the Mormon Church. Um, yes, I'm connected to deep royal roots there too. Oh yes, you are. Um, you have on your maternal grandfather's side, and we're talking your mom's dad's side, the, the Durfies. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of, you have not only old colonial roots, but you also have a lot of fairly recent uh, British immigration. And these were people who, who were converted to Mormonism in England. I don't think a lot of people realize uh, how early the Mormon church started sending out missionaries and their first, their first place they went to was England. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I learned through this process. And it kind of makes sense because I mean, the Mormon church grew up over, and I live right in this, this area that they called the burned over district because I'm in Western New York. Yeah. Right. Right and, around Palmyra. Right. Yeah, I'm not very far from Palmyra. I'm about maybe 30 miles. And um, so there was, a, I mean, there was a whole bunch of religious upheaval that was happening during the early 1800s. Well, whereas, you know, Britain was still mired in the old stodgy Calvinist churches that basically said, hey, whether you're saved or whether you're damned, it's all taken care of. It's all been decided. You've got nothing that you can do to influence this. Right, right. Predestination. Um, Predestination, exactly. And to them, a, ch a, a church and a theology that was preaching what they were preaching at the time, which is anyone can have revelations. Anyone can have a personal relationship with God. Of course, they shut that shit down as soon as they realized, <laughs> oh, people who can all have re revelations, that means no one can really be in charge. So that all got that all got changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course. But anyway, of course. But... um. Anyway, so one of the most notable royalty that you uh, of Mormon church that you are descended from is your fourth great grandfather's name is Joseph Blanchett Blanken, uh, Brackenberry. Brackenberry, me. yeah, yeah, very Brackenberry, very familiar name in my uh, my family. So you've heard these stories before? No, no I'm not. Uh, I mean, the name I know the name. Yeah, well, he was born in Lincolnshire, England, before he converted. 
Um, although he had, was already in the United States prior to his conversion, he converted about a year after the publication of the Book of Mormon, so he was really, really early. And he's considered the first martyr of the LDS faith because he was on a mission to uh, Pomfret, New York, which is a small town about 50 miles southwest of Buffalo, and the locals poisoned him. <laughs> they weren't having that shit then. <laughs> They weren't having that shit. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm laughing at a man's poisoning, but, you know, hey, if you're going to be in a member of a cult, poison sometimes happens. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was uh, that that was that was an event. Um, And then the the uh, first martyr of the Mormon church, like the very first martyr of the Mormon church. He wasn't the last one Uh, over the next several years. Many of them got shot, run out of town, including Joseph Smith himself, (laughs) including Joseph Smith himself, the ultimate martyr. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, Joseph Brackenberry, he, he was, he was the, uh, the leader of that particular pack. Wow. Um, and uh, your your third great grandfather William Farrington Cal- Cahoon was the f- member of the first quorum of the seventy, which so, which is like the their high ruling mucky muck yeah group right of, but all eight of your grandfather's great grandparents were early Mormon converts. Hmm. So it is solid on this that side of the family the conversion to Mormonism. Now. Apparently, that didn't stick for very long, though. Um, I Some of them, uh, after, probably after uh, Joseph Smith declared the principle of plural marriage, uh, objected to that, and some of them joined the Reformed Church that, that uh, his, his wife, his first wife, his only wife, as far as she was concerned, Emma, uh, started after the, uh, after the breakup. But several of them went to that. Um, do you know, how, are some of your family still involved in Mormonism? Y- yeah, I mean, not, um, I think there, there, I probably have aunts or uncles that consider themselves Mormons, but what, what people who know about Mormons would call Jack Mormons, they consider right. those, it's like a, like a cafeteria Catholic kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Yeah, they call themselves Mormons, they don't practice. Just, just yeah. based on the tradition of the family, but they're not necessarily in it still. Yeah, if, yeah. You, put, if you put a gun to their head and said, hey, what religion are you? They would say, I'm a Mormon. Right. Well, so getting to the military history, uh, this is the only quadrant of your tree that has no apparent Civil War involvement, but that's not surprising given that most of these people were in Utah by this point. Utah didn't get much involved. But (laughs) Edward Brackenberry, who had been your third great-grandfather, was in the Mexican-American War serving with the Mormon Battalion, which was the only religious-based unit in U.S. history. And this is a truly grand story of heroism here. Mostly what they did is they made a grueling march from Ohio to San Diego, and the only battle that they had, they reached the San Pedro River in Arizona and got into an altercation with a group of wild cattle. (laughs) I was not expecting that. Blood-sucking war machine. (laughs) Resulting in two wounded men and about 10 to 15 dead cattle, and they called it the Battle of the Bulls. Wow. Bunch of Rambos. This is very disappointing. (laughs) For you, for you, Jesse, for you. Very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make up for it in the Revolutionary War because this is one I actually found fascinating. And I wrote you a letter about this when I found it. So, so a man named Moses Newton, 
born in 1725. So, you know, by 1776, this was this was an older guy. He was 51. Not really the kind to be jumping around with the, with a uh, with a muzzle loader or anything. He was your fifth great grandfather. Um, but he served on what was called a committee of correspondence in Connecticut. And if you're, you know, I I as I explained to you in the letter to you, and I'll explain to, the, to your listeners, the, a committee of correspondence is basically the shadow government that was created by the patriots. Because, of course, during the revolution, British, the British still actually ran the government. They were, they were supposed to anyway, and they had trouble in some areas of doing it, but they were the ones who were nominally in charge. So if the patriots wanted to get anything done, they had to kind of set up these secret governments to, to run things, to coordinate matters with the army and such. And your uh, your grand your fifth great grandfather Moses Newton was a member of the Connecticut uh, Committee of Correspondence that was responsible for that shadow government. It's like the anti deep state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. Well, so we we know where some of your rebellious streak comes. That from. is right. <laughs> it's in the blood. It's in the blood, and there, I mean, there were more of them. Uh, your sixth great-grandfather, John Stiles, uh, was part of the group that was uh, responsible for securing and holding Fort Ticonderoga. Um, you had one who was a Minuteman under, um, uh, under a band in the Dutchess County and was uh, present at the Battle of White Plains. I mean, all of these different sorts of battles that were very important. A lot of your relatives on this side of the family were involved in. You have six Revolutionary War ancestors on that side of the family. Isn't there some kind of an organization like Sons of the American Revolution or something that I could... Uh... Oh, you could join it, yeah. Some of these would be very easy to do the documentation for. Huh. Uh, and th- uh, three of these guys also ser- had served in the French and Indian War. Hmm. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds of I, I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. It's one of those ones that's kind of a, you know, it's almost like a um, a professional credential for someone in my line of work. Nice. But and I've got 17 between the two sides of my family. I've got 17 different ones that I could choose from. But I just picked the easiest one. Yeah. yeah. Um, if awesome. that's something you're interested in, I, I'd certainly be happy to help you with the paperwork on that. Yeah, I'll talk to you off pod, as off. they say. Off pod. Yikes. So now here's where we get to the uncomfortable stuff. This is your maternal grandmother's My line. mom's mom's side. Yeah, this is all old southern roots. And where likely the the point the 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 scant trace amount of African ancestry comes from. Right. Um and this has to do with your slave holding ancestors. Because you did have them. AKA uh, the, assholes. AKA assholes. Yeah. So these are the assholes of your maternal grandmother's line. Um, the largest slaveholder seems to have been your fourth great grandfather, whose name was William Vaughn. And he owned 39 slaves in 1850 and 53 in 1860. And a personal wealth of, it was $75,000 then. Or over $1.6 million today. He owned a plantation. Wow. Yeah. And what this is, uh, like Mississippi? Arkansas? Um, yeah, it was, it was in Arkansas. Arkansas. After the war, 
1870, and I believe you, you, you basically gave the email equivalent of fist pump when I told you that his personal wealth had dropped to about a third of its original value uh, after the war. So he, he lost big in the war. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was kind of an interesting exercise for me is I was actually able to trace some of the uh, slave families afterwards uh, through one of his, his uh, slaves, Charlotte, who was named in his will along with a couple of her sons. So there are still Vaughn, black Vaughn families living in that area who were on your fourth great grandfather's plantation. Mm. So that's, that would be uh, a trip. I wouldn't mind. Taking. Yeah. So, yeah. so how would it likely have happened? Um, if I am the descendant far, far how many generations back mm-hmm. of, of a, of a slave woman, would it would it have just the the child would have been like light skinned enough that they could have been kind of assimilated into the the regular brood of of uh, Vaughn children? It's possible. I you know the problem is is that there's really no way to know. The you you can speculate most of the time when you had you know they called it miscegenation yeah. where they you had blacks and whites having children. Norm, under the normal circumstances, it was a white slave owner or a child of a son of a white slave owner who would get a child on uh, on a black slave. Yeah. And if they were light skinned enough, they would be expected to pass pretty much as soon as possible. And it was in their best interest to do so, because if they could pass as white, as soon as they could pass as white, many of them did. Yeah, because they got treated so much better sure. than if they. Now I, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily from this family. This could have been a case where this came, this happened on another uh, plantation or another situation. Because a lot of people, another thing, another thing that people don't understand about slavery is that many families who owned slaves didn't have these gigantic groups of slaves like your fifth great grandfather had. There were an awful lot of families who only had, you know anywhere from one to five slaves. I mean, owning humans is still reprehensible and a crime against humanity, but it's, you know, a lot of them owned them on a much smaller scale than that. Sure. Well, also, I mean, owning a, a slave was like, they were like a thousand dollars per, per, per slave. That's, that was a lot of money, a lot oh, yeah. of money back then. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you the, one of the things that's, that's very troubling to read on these wills is the problem with tracking slave ancestors is most of them were not given they had names but they were not recorded in any way yeah they were recorded like property um i mean the the will of uh william vaughn had all of his slaves listed by name age and monetary value and that's relatively unusual to have everyone named um I don't know the answer to that because I haven't looked at enough of them. Hmm. But um, he was listed right after the farm equipment. All these all these people were listed yeah. right after the farm equipment and right before the other lives the, the livestock. Sickening. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, they were considered livestock. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um. So they, but they were they had names and. Sometimes you would run into, I ran into in some of these wills, and this was a will of one of his children, 
where they actually put the relationships between the people. And that's my understanding is that's even more rare hmm. because a lot of the times they tried to break up these families because they didn't want them to have those ties. So it's an incredibly cruel institution. But I would guess that it's probably through some of one of these uh, slaveholding families that you had, and they weren't the only, the Vaughns were the largest, but they weren't the only slaveholders on that part of the family, is that it was a child from a forced liaison between a, uh, a slave owner and, uh, and a slave. And you'll hear apologists. Otherwise known it, as fucking rape. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what was going to be my point. Yeah. Um, there's no way that a woman could, a, a woman in that position could legally, ever consent yeah, under exactly any right. reasonable standard. Um, and probably what happened is one of these uh, one of these children was able to pass enough that they were able to marry back into a, a, a white family. Now, you know, there's a remote possibility that this could have happened anywhere on your family tree because they did have slaves in the North. It's just, it was not very much. Yeah. But it's most likely through this end. Um I think you said someone in your family had also done an, an ethnicity thing and found it also in that line. Yeah. Um, yes, that's right. So it, there, there's confirmation that it is almost certainly through this particular family anyway. Um, so on the military routes, um, we have one good guy, a uh, he, an Arkansas second great grandfather, who joined the union? Oh wow! So, so could, there were could have gone either way there because he was in Arkansas <laughs> and chose the right. That's good. Well, it, it, it is not even a case of could have gone either way. Um, it was the minority view about about but about thirty percent of the Civil War soldiers from Arkansas did go into the union, hmm. and that's another thing that I really didn't understand. And this is I always love when I learn things. How many Southern states had not just individual soldiers who went north to fight for the Union, but actually had Union units, hmm. Union regiments that were out of Confederates, deep Confederate states. I mean, even Georgia had a had a Union Yeah, that's regiment. great. So, and then here come the assholes. Um, <laughs> as always. You, as always, you have, you have three um, Confederate soldiers, two of whom were taken prisoner and spent um, varying amounts of time in prisoner of war camps. And the one I wanted to talk about was William Parley Snodgrass, another oh, wow. great Southern name. Speaking of Southern names, yeah. <laughs> yep, he was in the 11th Arkansas Infantry, and on the last day of a six-week siege of Island Number 10 in April of 1862, of uh, the Confederate garrison at the strategic point blocking a tight double turn of the Mississippi River was destroyed by Union gunboats and troops, and he was transferred to a place called Camp Douglas in Chicago. Had Before I talked to you, I, I sent you an email about this. Had you ever heard of Camp Douglas? No. Camp Douglas was sometimes referred to as the North's Andersonville, and it was by far one of the worst prisoner of war camps in during the Civil War. Um, between the prisoners from bet between the prisoners from Island Number Ten and the Battle of Shiloh in spring of 1862, it held almost 9,000 pris Confederate prisoners. Wow! The camp had no sewage system. 
little shelter, not nearly enough food, um, and your third great-grandfather died in less than three months in this camp. Wow. You get what you get. Well, you nobody deserves slavery. that. Yeah. Yeah, nobody deserves that. Um, I have dry eyes over here, so. <laughs> <laughs> the one who actually ends up having the most storied career of your uh, of your Civil War ancestors was uh, Reuben Dale Morgan, your third great grandfather, who. This was another thing that I learned. They had made a special rank in the Confederate Army that was considered an officer rank, whose duty it shall be to bear the colors of the regiment, but without the right to command the field. Basically, it was a very honored position because the person who carried the colors, carried the flag of the regiment, is the one that everybody else wanted to kill. Yeah, because if they killed them and took the colors, this was this was basically the game within a game on these battles of capture the flag. Uh, and this rank was called an ensign, and it was only given to the you know the the people who were considered to be the most heroic and the the greatest deserving of this honor. And Reuben Dale Morgan was one of the very first ensigns of the Confederate Army. He had fought at the bat. He was cited for gallantry at the battles of Shiloh, Perryville, Murfreesboro, Chickamauga, and Ringgold Gap. Um, so also pretty lucky if he was all in all of those battles and didn't die and didn't get shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, as I said, I think that's where the the African ancestry is coming from is from somewhere over there. If I guess, had to guess about that trace amount of, of, of uh, Native American that you've got in your DNA, that very well may have come from the Quebecois side. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying that is because your roots go back so far into Quebec that a lot of those original settlers of, of, New, of New France, the trappers and the farmers, there were a lot of Jesuits that were working in the area that were converting the local Native American population, and many of these trappers and such married Native women. Because hmm. there weren't so, very many women. Because there weren't very there, there were no yeah. very few French women there, and so they married Native women. And also, you know, if, if you're a trapper and you're moving around a lot, you know, the average uh, girl from Paris isn't going to be into that. Yeah. So they they just decided that they were going to uh, to find a, uh, a mate who was A, there, and B, was amenable to their job. So I would guess that if if I had to guess, I would guess that's where it came sure. from. Sure. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I'm uh, very excited to, to, to go back and actually have uh, fa- family members who don't listen to the show mm-hmm. say, hey, if you want to learn a little bit about what we got going on, listen to the this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so now we're going to turn to Brittany. Yes. Now, Brittany, you did not talk about exactly what your DNA profile looked like when it was originally talked about. But you've got it with you, right? I do have it, yes. So I'm going to try to guess. I, I'm not going to guess percentages, uh, but I'm guessing that your tree is going to be primarily British Isles. British and Irish. Uh, some German, Eastern European, Polish possibly some Serbo-Croatian and possibly some Ashkenazi Jewish in there a little bit. Am I at all close? You are touching on a lot of it. Yeah. So um, the breakdown is 99.5% European 
uh, 91.9% Northwestern European, and that is 54.5% British and Irish. Mm-hmm. That is the largest percentage. And then it goes into French and German, which is 12.7%, Scandinavian, 1.8%, and broadly Northwestern European, 22.9%, um, Eastern European, like you touched on, mm-hmm. 5.8%. And, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Southern European, 0.7%. And then the trace ancestry is 0.2% Native American, 0.1% mm-hmm. broadly East Asian and Native American, and 0.1% broadly Sub-Saharan African. Yeah, the Ashkenazi Jewish was just kind of a wild guess based on a couple of the surnames I was running into when I was working on the one branch of your family that has a more recent immigrant ancestry. So I wasn't sure about that one, but the other ones, you know, given what, uh, so I'm, I'm breaking yours, even though yours is fairly much the same from branch to branch, except for the one branch, I'm going to break it down the same way I broke down Jesse's. So I'm going to talk about your paternal, your father's father's side first, the pages, the pages who are not related to Betty Page or to Jimmy Page <laughs> that I'm aware of. Um, so far, I've only gotten them back into the mid-1700s to your fifth great-grandfather, whose name was Jacob Page. And he was born in North Carolina and later went to South Carolina, and they're the ones who went primarily into Tennessee. Most of the rest of this extended Page family came either from North Carolina, Maryland, or Virginia. Tennessee and Kentucky weren't really settled much until the early 1800s. Um, There's one tiny, tiny thread of German in there also, because you had uh, one fifth great grandfather uh, named Andrew Starnes who came to the U.S., from Germany. So there's a little bit of diversity here. Mm-hmm. Now, it was working on your military your military history that really opened my eyes to the difficulty of the civil war in the border states because of course Tennessee and Kentucky were not deep south. They're, they're they were considered border states. Mm-hmm. Tennessee declared for the uh, the the Confederacy. The Kentucky was actually union yeah, which I I had not remembered from the you know I mostly did European history, so the the Civil War history was kind of way back there somewhere in the in the dustbin of my of my memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you had, I think um, I think what happens is is you you take into account what Kentucky politics look like today, yeah. and assume yeah. oh yeah they were fucking for sure the Confederacy, yeah, <laughs> right exactly. Um, but your your first. The first one, whose name was Arwen Page, was a was in the uh, in the Civil War. He was from Tennessee, but he was one of the few that broke with the Confederacy and joined a Union regiment. Nice. So, score one, for, score one, good guy. Yeah. Um, Arwen. Tennessee actually, yes, go Arwen. <laughs> um, Tennessee actually provided more troops to Union regiments than all other Confederate states combined. Oh wow. They have more than 31,000 soldiers went into the Union. There were 135,000 Confederates, but hey, not everybody can be on the right side. Mm -hmm. 
this is the one that I, that I find one of the more interesting stories. And this is a guy whose name was Solomon Tunks, your third <laughs> great grandfather. Yeah, another great name, yeah. Solomon Tunks. He was actually he was he was he was born in 1825, so he was somewhat older when he went into the a, a uh, the Eighth Regiment of Kentucky Volunteers Cavalry, and he was also Union. This was an interesting choice. His wife, Nancy, his name is Nancy Sturdivant. Her father, Silas, was a slave owner. Mm. Um, so that must have made Christmas interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume so. Uh, yes. And her youngest brother, Edmund, uh, may have still owned one slave. as Well, he did own one slave as late as 1860 when he showed up on a slave census. But this one is kind of interesting. Now, she didn't, Silas, the father there, didn't own slaves on a large scale, but he passed on six of his slaves in his will in 1853 for the common use of his family. By 1860, there was only one slave left. And what was interesting is if you know, looking at the information on those first six, uh, those, those six slaves in 1853, was that one of them was a, was a very young child who and all of them were listed as black or Negro as they would have been listed then. But by 1860, this 12 year old who was living with her youngest son was listed as a mulatto, which means mixed race. Yeah, yeah. And I'm beginning to, I, I kind of made me wonder. I mean, they obviously, none of the family owned the other slaves. But I'm wondering why this child, and I'm wondering if it may have been an illegitimate son of Silas. Hmm. Yeah. And I tried to find out more about what happened to this child, but I couldn't find anything after 1860. It's one of the, it's on my to-do list of things to look for because I would be very interested and just to see did he adopt that last name? Can we find any descendants? Because it would be interesting to find out if he was a descendant of Silas Sturdivant. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting that they, um, this was another case where you were able to find information from the will, like in Jesse's family. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's crazy to me. Well, the thing is, is since slaves were considered property, you have to look at those places where property inventories would be mm -hmm. present. And as I said, I'm no expert on doing Southern uh, slave genealogy. So I'm sure there are other resources for that, but I am not personally aware of them. Mm hmm. Um, this, your only Confederate soldier, you only had one, uh, was your third great grandfather, James Brown Dodson. Um, he, and he was in Texas and there, as far as I could tell, just about everybody in Texas went Confederate. So, Hey, he was just going along with the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, only one Confederate soldier. My current family would be so disappointed. Yeah, they would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's more, there's more union soldiers. There, they, 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 this was a common theme in your family to, was to go Union. So there was only one Confederate soldier. And I have no idea what he did because there's very little information about this uh, This called Goods Battalion, the Texas Cavalry. Mm. So the wrong turn happened relatively recently, Brittany. Yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is your dad's side of the family. Mm -hmm. we, there's other reasons why your mother's side of the family is screwed up. But anyway... Um, you, and you also have a Revolutionary War uh, ancestor. So you could join the Daughters of the American Revolution if you wanted to. Nice. His name was William Maxwell, and he served in a North Carolina regiment. Mm. 
paternal grandmother, your father's mother. This is all Kentucky for at least four generations, and this is where the cousin marriages start. Uh-oh. What? C- cousin marriage. <laughs> Brittany's got yeah. some cousin fucking going on. <laughs> wow. Oh, there's a lot of it. Um, <laughs> how dare you, Barb? <laughs> Well, that's why I got such a uh, I, I got such a laugh out of your your whole diatribe about you know being squeeched squeamed out by the the cousin marriages because I'm like oh God Brittany you are in for it you are in for it <laughs> oh God so James Lindsay and Mary McMahon aren't just your six great grandparents the other six great grandparents three times wait what wait what <laughs> oh God yep. No. They're your yeah. Their sons William and Caleb are both your fifth great grandparents. There's too many names to get confusing, so I'll try to explain this as as simply as possible. William and Caleb had a son and a daughter who married each other. So there's the dreaded first cousin marriages, and they had a daughter named Nancy. William, the brother, had another daughter named Sally who married a man named Charles. They had a son named James. And James and Nancy married, so that's second cousin marriage. So your own, you are your own seventh cousin three times, your own sixth cousin twice, and your own fifth cousin once, just through your great-great-grandmother, Sarah Bullock. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Brittany is her own cousin? Uh, sixth cousin twice, fifth cousin once, oh, seventh cousin three times. That is so fucking good. <laughs> side of the family what was there no one else around or did they live on a compound like what what's going on here wow <laughs> let's keep it in the family guys <laughs> well i i've got this too i i have i have a string of uh relatives the last name is edson and they were always marrying you know edson girls were marrying edson boys and i said it was because they were too cheap and didn't want to change the uh, the initial on the wedding silver um <laughs> But uh, so uh, the best news is I haven't finished with those lines yet, and it might get worse. So new hashtag raised by related wolves. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, God, don't start that, Barb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so um, but the good news is they at least didn't let that screw with their brains too much because you do have two more Civil War ancestors who are related to them. And yes, they also... Both went union. Nice. Yes. Good so, decisions, James guys. James and James Bullock. So Some good decisions. James Bullock. Some good decisions. <laughs> yes. James Bullock. Yes. One of the, the Bullocks of the, uh, your tree turns into a thicket on that side of the family. Perfect. So we're going to take a complete veer off to the left and talk to, about your maternal grandfather. And this is where you get all your genetic diversity. It's pretty much all Irish on one side. And all Polish, German, Eastern European on the other. Hmm. Um, the Garens uh, were were Irish, and in, in a very unusual situation, I was actually able to come up with what counties they came from in Ireland. Oh, this is very very difficult sometimes to do with Irish uh, relatives because a lot of the times, many of them tried to put Ireland behind them. A lot of them came over in the potato famine, as yours seem to. And so on naturalization certificates, on, you know, where were you born? They just said Ireland, and they didn't say where in Ireland. So it can be very difficult. But we found out, I found out that 
Um, your immigrant ancestor and third great-grandfather, Michael Guerin, was from County Limerick. And your third great-grandmother, Esther Burns, was from County Wicklow. Hmm. And they both emigrated first to Canada, and they married in Ontario. And your fourth great-grandparents, Jeremiah and Mary Linehan, were among the very first settlers of Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, wow. Um, you actually have a lot of roots in Omaha. Um, so it's just a little less interesting to go there than Quebec, but yeah, you know, someday you might want to <laughs> might, might pop through there anyway. Yeah. Um, there was a newspaper article about their son, Jeremiah. Jeremiah would, would have been your fourth great uncle, third great uncle, um, saying that he was born in January 1856 in a squatter's cabin in the southwest corner of 12th and Jones Streets. And I looked on Google Maps, and that's now a parking lot behind the Bemis Center of the Contemporary Arts. So uh, if you ever want to go visit the, the family homestead, it's a parking lot, but that's kind of the way things go these days. <laughs> well, it is Omaha, Nebraska. It is Omaha. Mm -hmm. Now, the Garens were actually a very interesting family. Your great-grandfather, Edward, who was a doctor, and we talk, we've talked about this a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, had two siblings, and both of them seemed to have a lot of musical talent. Uh, do you have any history of musical talent that you're aware of on your mother's side of the family? Um, I am not aware of that. All I know is that I am a human Shazam app and I can identify <laughs> music very quickly and with great accuracy. That's all I know. Well, it may have come from that because his sister Helen was a well-known local pianist and a coloratura soprano performed with the Omaha Opera. Ooh. And his brother Francis was also a gifted pianist, but he died at age 17. Now, as I said, Edward was a physician, and you had heard something about him through the family grapevine. What was that? Um, I had heard that he was a barbiturate addict. Now, had you heard that he was also a doctor? Yes. Okay. Um, so what I found as I was, I was looking through newspapers, and newspapers can be a, a wonderful source, um, was I was thinking that probably the barbiturate addict, and he was, uh, that, was con that part was confirmed, mm -hmm. came from possible original medicinal use. And that he'd become addicted to it. Because it was very, you know, it is very addictive. Mm -hmm. Um so I looked up what barbiturates were primarily used for during that period of time, and it was used almost exclusively for the control of epilepsy. Hmm. And when he was 30, according to a newspaper account, he went to the Mayo Clinic for major surgery. And there was no information about what the surgery was for. And it's doubtful that we would be able to get his medical records to find out because HIPAA laws, believe it or not, are retroactive. Wow. So this is actually a problem for many people who are trying to research people who ended up in like psychiatric institutions and such like that. Yeah. They can't get a hold of any of their records. Yeah. But I did do a little bit of digging about the Mayo Clinic and what they were doing. This would have been right around um, the late 1920s. They were a pioneering, pioneering research center and surgical center for neurological surgery. And my, my thought is he may have had epilepsy or suspected epilepsy or he went there to have like a brain tumor removed and ended up with epilepsy as a result of the surgery interesting i have no you know this is this is speculation at yeah. this point but i mean given that he seemed to be you know he seemed to have a very promising career he was actually the county physician of uh the the omaha 
uh, the city and the county. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently so, got addicted to barbiturates. To barbiturates huh? And he died very young, I believe, as well, right? Yeah, he died in his 40s. Yeah. And um, so it's it just seemed to me that there was a missing piece to the story, and it was that newspaper account of the major surgery, which, you know, this is the kind of thing that I always am very interested in finding because, you know, all you hear, oh, yeah, he was he was a doctor and he was a drug addict. Right. Well, oftentimes there's a lot more to a story than sure. just that. Those are the things that people and a, a surgery would have been have had to have been pretty major you know it doesn't get written in the paper that you got your appendix out mm-hmm. they're gonna only no, write about it if it's newsworthy especially since i mean the mayo clinic is in minnesota yeah and he was living in nebraska that's he had to travel a great distance for this yeah and they were as i said they were one of the few surgical centers it would have been closer to him than say new york city that was doing that kind of neurosurgery so without you know, you can only guess without the medical records, but this this was this this was the story that kind of made sense to me, mm-hmm. and I just thought, you know, it's it's one of those examples where maybe that can be a bit of a healing story that you know he wasn't such a bad guy after all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, anyway, you're going to have to help me with the last name of your great grandmother, Dorothy. Okay, Juknius. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting about this is when I was having to create my genogram in grad school, I went into my baby book and tried to find the names of my relatives. And they some of them were written there, but not the whole tree. uh, And my mom had actually gone through and crossed out the names of people that she hated. Not just crossed out with a line, but like scratched out. Yeah. And so I actually had to like hold it up to the light, like kind (laughs) of like, you know, like I, I had to do some detective work on it to try to figure it out. And that was one of the names that I had to do that with. Um, so I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know that that person exists and is in my tree. <laughs> well, you might want to take a look at your online tree. I found a newspaper article that had her picture. Mm. And her profile looks almost exactly like yours. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's it was it was a little uncanny when I looked at. It. I mean, I've only I've only seen still pictures of you because we've never met in person. Yeah. But it was like, "Oh, that's Brittany. You know, was, <laughs> she had darker hair and such. And it's a newspaper picture, so it's not very... I have tried, as I've been doing both of your trees, I've been trying to find as many pictures as I can, mm-hmm. because that's just cool. Yeah. But this one really struck me as having a real physical resemblance. Oh, wow. All right. Um, and, well, Juknius, or however you pronounce it, uh, was the family was primarily German, and actually goes pretty far back. It, they were originally from the Stuttgart area. So if you've ever wanted to go to Germany, Stuttgart would be a good place. And they also have lots of great museums dedicated to high-end cars, if that's anything you're interested in. All right. <laughs> decent food. That's, decent food. That's yeah. what we're worried about. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they have decent food and great beer. Yes. Uh, but uh, I'm, I, uh, so, but as I said, you know, recent immigration is not my area of expertise. So I didn't get very far, particularly with the Polish side, because some of that went into the problem with the, with Eastern Europe is the, the well, they continue to shift all the time. The borders are crazy. So yeah. discovering what's where can be very difficult. But a lot of the family records from the Olszewski line are actually in what is today uh, 
the Serbo-Croatian territory. So, um, and most of those are not online. So, you know, unless, you know, you're willing to pay me to go over to Serbo-Croatia and get an interpreter, I'm not going to be able to do anything with those, <laughs> any of those lines. I understand. So... Okay, so we're out of the uh, we're out of that, and we're into your maternal grandmother. I had more cousin marriages. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> so good. Yeah, well, your maternal grandmother was a Brown, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of repeating surnames: Brown, Guffey, and Bell, over and over again. Wow! All right, and it's also where I get to my first major brick wall, and that's what we use for a problem in genealogy that's very very difficult this could be could probably be uh solved with dna but you have to find someone who was probably male and closer because the y dna is what we're looking for and you don't have a y so um your second great grandfather leotha lauren brown all of the sources agree on what his mother's name was. Her name was Sarah Dorcas Brown. <laughs> but Dorcas is a, it's an, actually an old uh, yeah, Dorcas. Yeah, it's, it doesn't translate well to modern sensibilities, right. but it is a uh, <laughs> another name for Popeye. D- yeah, it's like having it's like having a, a, <laughs> you a name, a- your name be like dipshit or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's like all the poor people who are named Dick these days, yeah. including my father-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Dorcas is spelled D or D-O-R-C-A-S, not K-U-S. But anyway, if you get a, if he if Popeye ever gets a girlfriend, you can name her Dorcas. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, but there is conflicting information about the father and conflicting information about Sarah's marital status. Some Lister is single. Some Lister is a widow. She always has the same last name. Um, some people on their online trees have... I believe, created out of whole cloth this guy named Jesse Brown to be the father. But I have found no Jesse Brown at the correct age anywhere in the area. I believe that Sarah Dorcas Brown just had Leotha Lauren Brown. Leotha, I know. We'll just call him Lauren. Um, I, I think that she just had him and we have no idea who the father is. So, um, and then Lauren married a a woman named Lizzie Brown. Yes, another cousin marriage. Oh. <laughs> and then Lizzie's marriage was Mary Guffey, and her parents were William Guffey and Martha Barnes. And so we have another spate of marriages, and from the Barnes and Guffey's marrying one another, you are your own fifth cousin twice through Mary Guffey and Martha Barnes, as they're your fourth grand- great-grandparents twice. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the last of the cousin marriages, or is this going to continue? <laughs> well, as I said, I've only been working on your tree for a few months, so I, I've still got a ways to go yet. Wow. Um, I love how Barb's I like, would... well, it's your tree, so there's probably going to be more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, given how many times I am seeing repeats, particularly the names Brown, Guffy, and Bell, um, there's several, several Bells in your paternal grandfather's lines too, I'm expecting they're going to connect somewhere. You have to understand all of these Kentucky lines are basically in a small tri-county area of Kentucky, um, all around uh, Mammoth Caves, basically. All right. Another trip That's to take. Another, another, another trip. trip to take. 
another trip to take. Uh, the Mammoth Caves Cemetery are related to about half the people in there. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so we're talking about a very small geographical area. So, yeah, they didn't have a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of settlers in the area. So, and maybe they, they just liked each other a lot. Yeah. But I am expecting that the bells from your mother's mother's side and the bells from your father's father's side are probably going to connect in there somewhere. Yeah. Because I'm seeing some of the same names being repeated. And it's not just like, you know, John and Mary, mm -hmm. but more distinctive names. So I haven't got, as I said, I haven't gotten as far on your, on your family, mm -hmm. but I'm expecting that we're going to end up with more things circling back on themselves. No daughters tree. of the king in there though, Brittany Page. <laughs> no daughters of the king. Wow. <laughs> Lording over me. How dare you? <laughs> well, this has been super, super interesting. I am, uh, I'm in awe of the work that you do. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was it's a lot of fun and I love the chance to work on trees that haven't really been put together before. And in in, in most of your cases there were, I mean, there were some people who had done some work on this, but a lot of this was fresh territory. And I was also like pleasantly surprised at how great the records are in some of these places. French Canadian records are fantastic. Yeah. And fortunately, I can read enough French to be able to get through them. Kentucky blew me away on how good the records are there. But I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm going to be continuing work. And as I said, I expect that Brittany's tree will get even more convoluted over time. And <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. It's fun. It makes much more interesting stories. And well, it was, yep, yeah, it was another farmer. Yep, another fisherman. Yeah. Here we well, go. Well, since this is what you do for a living, I, I, if there's anybody out there who is interested in genealogy, who is mm -hmm. interested in, in, in maybe putting you to work uh, on their tree <laughs> and finding out that they're also um, from the line of the daughters of the king. Um, or you go, go to, hashtag raised by related wolves. That's right. Uh, <laughs> your, your website is barbfrench.com. Yes. Obviously, it'll be yep. in the show notes. And I assume your contact information is on your website, right? Yes. And mostly I specialize in uh, New York and uh, New England. So it was kind of fun to get out of my out of my usual areas for a change. And you're able to find out, even though that is your, your area of speciality, you're able to find out oh, yeah. all kinds of things outside of, of, of your geographic area mm -hmm. of expertise. Yeah, there there are there are geographic specialties. I could do better uh, and get in deeper with some of the New York stuff than I that I could with say the Kentucky stuff. But you know there was a, plenty of stuff out there that I was able to put I was able to put together things with uh, high confidence and good sources that I wasn't just throwing names up there and just hoping for the best. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. We uh, I'm. Um beside myself with appreciation i think it's it's amazing some of the shit that you learned even some of the things that you've emailed me that we didn't get into yeah um it, it's just it, it's for lack of a better word it's it's amazing mm -hmm. so well, i'm glad you guys enjoyed it. i had a, i've had a ton of fun with it yeah it, it's uh it's great so is there anything else that you would like to plug before we let you Not go really Pretty much, uh, you know, barbfrench.com, all one word, pretty easy to spell. And uh, just stop by and uh, feel free to just drop me an email and say, say hello if that's what you want. Awesome. 
Thank you so much, Barb. We appreciate you. We appreciate you so, so much. It is. Uh, oh, you're it's, welcome. It's a very, very illuminating. Yeah, for sure. Not just that Brittany's her own cousin many, many times. But, All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We appreciate well, you, Barb. Well, you knew that, didn't you, Brittany? <laughs> On some level, you knew it. No, I didn't. <laughs> On some not, level. No. Deep, deep in your DNA, Brittany, you knew. You knew. I mean, I was in denial about it, but yeah, you're right. There was a, there was, there was a feeling I had. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Barb. So, Mr. Justin Trudeau over here. Yeah, I wish... Oh, it's Oh, Canada! <laughs> da, 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 da. That's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't memorized it yet, even though we did this interview almost two goddamn weeks ago. You're gonna have to read up and do some educating yeah. of yourself. M- maybe I should just learn... Uh, I almost did Mbop, but that's not a Justin Bieber song. Alright. It's another terrible song. Mm-hmm. Isn't his song the baby, 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 baby song? I, you n- don't act like you don't know. I you honestly, are a fucking giant Justin Bieber fan. I'm really not. I don't know. I know you are because you're the product of cousin fucking. <laughs> Come on, Brittany Page. You know, it was funny because Barb came to us and she said, you know, there's potentially some uncomfortable things here. Is everything on the table? And we said, yeah, everything's on the table. You yeah. know, it's it's us and no one else is going to be like affected by this information. It's just us. Plus, right? I could just edit that shit out later. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then she brought up all that. And I was yeah. like, hmm, should everything have been on the table? Uh, but we already kind of knew, you know, you had cousins marrying cousins, having babies. And then those cousins fuck their cousins. It is an amalgam of cousin fucking. An amazing amount. Yep. Tremendous uh, amounts mm-hmm. of P in the V. Mm, all of right. C, P in the V. Cousin. All P right. in all right. the V. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. You've turned out relatively well, though. <laughs> relatively, yeah. Yeah, well, there's probably a lot of people that have that in their trees. So they, they might want to... Um, Check with Barb, uh, barbfrench.com, and see how much cousin fucking is in their well, family tree. It is interesting. I bet it's a lot. I think it's more common than we think. I think it's more common than we think. That's what I was going to say. Is Multiple times we've talked about how odd it is. <laughs> and then... By he, the way... Remember Jill from, from uh, Denmark called in and said, very common. Very common. Yes, and I was also the one that... I don't know if I pushed back on your radical views on it, but I was trying to present a a different side. Radical view? I didn't say they should be rounded <laughs> up and shipped to an island. I, I mean, just think it's, it's kind of what I remember, but um, <laughs> I mean, it, yes. So anyway, I not pushing back against it, but trying to present the the other side, I guess. And now we know that it was motivated reasoning because I felt very vulnerable about what's in right. my family tree. Right. Yeah. Right. Without even knowing. Yeah. Without even knowing it. Yeah. <laughs> you just felt it in your in your genetics. It was a part of me. Yeah. Your DNA is crying out to you. No more. No more. I can't handle it. Yeah. So who would have thought that you had the fantastic, awesome family tree and mine is all jacked up? Who would have thought? Well, listen, I I am a, a very like I don't I feel bad about all of the slave owning that that's terrible, um, and I'm but I'm not like ashamed because it's awesome to have been liberated from that and from that worldview. 
It's the same thing with the Mormonism. That's a bummer. I mean, that, that's, that's an oppressive religion. But it is awesome to have escaped and not been, you know, roped into that for generation upon generation in the future. So, yeah, pretty good. Anyway, uh, we'd love to know what you think about the episode. We'd love to know if you have any kooky, interesting little nuggets mm-hmm. in your family tree. Mm-hmm. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. As always, this show is listener supported. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy our regular numbered episodes, we would welcome your support on Patreon. Go to teamdollamore.com. There you can pick a tier, help us out with a monthly pledge to support the show help us keep the lights on as always every little bit goes a long way we love you guys we appreciate you and we will see you next time for Brittany Page I'm Jesse Dollamore and this has been I Doubt